RadioInfluence.com. You are sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of City Ringside. My name is David Penzer, and as always, we are so glad to that you are here to listen to this thing that we call a podcast. Have uh, what should be a fun guest on this week. Well, not really fun, but it's going to be a, a true wrestling uh, history, so to speak. Uh, Devin Nicholson, who's Hannibal, has his own Hannibal TV network, and I've worked with him, going to work with him again at WrestleMania weekend this year, uh, doing interviews, but uh, he's going to tell his story, uh, and especially he's uh, well known for uh, contracting hepatitis C from Abdullah the Butcher and taking Abdullah to court and getting awarded a verdict and trying to collect. And we're going to tell that whole sordid tale and uh, also a little bit about his uh, background, where he got started, and uh, and we'll talk about uh, his interviews on the Hannibal TV. Uh, real quickly, uh, I know that uh, we uh, – drop on Monday mornings, and so we're a little bit late with this, but I uh, do want to congratulate uh, Roman Reigns on uh, his being uh, in remission from cancer. Uh, in hindsight, obviously, it didn't seem like it was, doesn't seem like it was a big deal, but cancer's cancer, man. Uh, there's no good cancer to get. Uh, obvious, I guess if there was a good one, he got the good one. Uh, but it's probably something he's going to have to deal with all his life. And, uh, and like I said, there's no good cancer because you never know how that's going to turn out. So congratulations to him. Uh, huge pop. We talked about it. If he, if, and when he was able to come back, uh, it was going to be the Roman reigns that Vince had been dreaming of for years and years and, and never got as far as the reaction. Uh, it will be interesting to see how long he gets a positive reaction or if the crowd, uh, kind of quote unquote turns on him again if I'm him I don't give a crap I just beat cancer for the second time in my life uh, and uh, I'm doing what I love doing he just did a movie with uh, with his cousin The Rock and uh, so who cares if you get booed by a few fans but it was great to see him back uh, and a nice end to a story hopefully that will be it with Roman Reigns and leukemia. I also want to wish a 70th birthday to my happy 70th birthday to my old friend, nature boy, Ric Flair. I wasn't invited this year, but, uh, but I was at his 50th. Uh, if you look on my Twitter page at David Penzer, uh, and be sure to hit it up. If you haven't already, uh, if you look at my Twitter page, the main photo other than my stock real estate photo is, uh, me, Rick, uh, Arn Anderson and Joe Gomez, uh, from Ric Flair's, you can even see the five O uh, ice sculpture from Ric Flair's fiftieth uh, birthday party. Now, I, I think we had more fun at the fiftieth than they did at the seventieth. From what uh, I talked to some of the people there, but seventieth uh, was definitely much more star studded. No, uh, no Dennis Rodman's. No, uh, no, no. Uh, uh, Vander Holyfield's uh, uh, they just had a ton of uh, celebrities there so I guess as he's gotten older uh, his celebrity has grown outside of the wrestling business and uh, uh, good luck to him and uh, uh, did an angle on Raw recently uh, the same Raw that Roman came out uh, actually the first Raw that I've really watched in a while and uh, not sure if it's because 
a Bruce Pritchard or just a total coincidence because uh, it's getting closer to WrestleMania, but I actually really enjoyed it. And uh, uh, so maybe the competition looming has uh, brought out something in them. And maybe Bruce Pritchard is just a creative genius. Uh, time will tell, but happy birthday to Ric Flair. Congratulations to Roman Reigns and, uh, uh, that's about it. We're on the road to WrestleMania, and uh, you can see most of the matches starting to shape up. And uh looks like Kofi Kingston might get his, quote-unquote, ironically, Daniel Bryan moment uh, against Daniel Bryan. And uh, it couldn't happen to a nicer guy uh, as well. So uh, we'll see if that happens. Just other random thoughts. Uh Becky Lynch continues to stay over, and I, I'm glad glad for her. Ricochet and Aleister Black uh, getting quite the push. And so uh, as we spoke to PJ Black uh, last week, uh, both of us are big fans of, of Ricochet, and, and I really hope they continue to push him because I believe that despite his smaller statute, uh, sort of like AJ Styles, uh, the guy could be a huge star. He reeks and oozes charisma, and he does things that are absolutely unbelievable and makes him look easy, quite frankly. So uh, so excited to see him uh, on a positive path. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, get to bring on this week's guest. He is the host of the Hannibal TV Network, uh, all kinds of shoot interviews, and also does some independent wrestling, has quite the story to tell, so we're going to hear it right now. Please welcome Devin Hannibal Nicholson. All right, ladies and gentlemen, every once in a while on this podcast, we like to quote-unquote flip the script so to speak, and uh, interview those who interview, not quite for a living, but as a definitely one of the main things that he does. I'm talking about my guest this week, Devin Nicholson, better known as Hannibal in the wrestling business, and you have tons of what you call career, um, many would call them shoot interviews, uh, I guess they're career shoot interviews, uh, with many of the top stars of professional wrestling and, and people like me as well. Uh, on your YouTube channel, the Hannibal TV, uh, tell everybody real quickly how they could find all those interviews in your, your YouTube channel. Well, the easiest way is to just search the Hannibal TV on YouTube or it's youtube.com backslash the Hannibal TV or go to the Hannibal TV.com and all the links are there. We've interviewed, as you said, tons of wrestling stars, especially uh, WCW stars as well. And not only the top uh, wrestlers, but also bringing out and some behind-the-scenes people. And you've done a lot of interviews for us, so you could search on YouTube David Penzer, the Hannibal TV, and you'll probably have pages of interviews uh, pop up if you're a David Penzer fan and you want to check out some of the work he's done for us. And some of them were like at 9 o'clock in the morning. I usually don't... Uh, I'm not seen at 9 o'clock in the morning, so uh, uh, that was a challenge, uh, especially... Uh, uh, hitting the bar with the Finleys. We've, and we had Dave Finley on here talking about his mom and dad uh, and their drinking prowess. So hitting the bar with the Finleys and, and then being up at 9 o'clock having to talk for a living was interesting. So I don't know that I'll be doing that. This year in New York City, I think I'm going to go to bed early because we will be up there again for the Hannibal TV. And, heck, if rumors are right uh, and the next WrestleMania is in Tampa, uh, I'm going to have to charge you the hometown rate. No trans. 
Yeah, I mean, it sounds like from all I've read that uh, that probably is going to happen. So that would be a lot easier next year, especially. Uh, <laughs> I, I really actually love Tampa. I was just there. Fans could check out the interviews I just did there. I just did six interviews. And it's a nice place to go in April, too. Nicer than New York City. For sure. Weather-wise. For sure. Oh, I love New York City, but for sure weather-wise. Although it's rainy and cool today. But uh, I guess that's... I guess that's uh, I guess that's, you know, comparable to Canada where you're at. What, what degree is what's what? Oh, God, no, it's not. Florida is not comparable. And New York City is not comparable to Canada. We we're, we're where I am in Canada. I'm like eight hours north of New York City. So the weather is significantly different. It's funny. I actually interviewed uh, Marty Gennetti in Poughkeepsie, New York, about a month ago. And even the difference between here and six hours below in Poughkeepsie was significant. They hardly had any snow there, and we have like three and a half feet here right now, which is horrible. And it gets to negative 30. Basically, my goal as an interviewer is to be able to move to the U.S. because I've had enough of this weather for one lifetime. Yeah, my wife's from uh, Halifax, and uh, she doesn't – she misses her family, but uh, – uh, only in the summer, I think, because she doesn't miss the weather for sure. Hey, uh, before we start uh, talking about your career, let's talk a little bit about these uh, career shoot interviews. What's the best uh, shoot interview you've ever done, and what's the worst you've ever done? Not to put you on the spot. Oh, my gosh. Well, that is definitely putting me on the spot. The worst by far, there's no comparison, was Carlito because – answered three and a half pages of questions in 15 minutes with basically yes no i can't remember um i think the best line was what was it like working with rick flair that was cool that's all he could say about uh, (laughs) his feud with rick flair so that was a torturous one there's so many uh best ones i I couldn't even really begin, but one of my personal favorites to interview was, of course, uh, Dan Gable, um, just because I have so much respect for Dan Gable, who, for any pro wrestling fans that don't know who he is, he's an amazing uh, amateur wrestler who almost won uh, 10 NCAA championships in a row as a coach as well. Well, that uh, goes right next to, uh, nicely into my next question because you have quite the amateur background. I didn't know that when I first got to know you. Uh, how'd you get involved in professional wrestling, and and how close were you to go into the Olympics? Because uh, from what it seems like online, it looks like you were pretty close. Well, I was the alternate uh, for the London Games that took place in 2012. I got uh, second place at the Olympic trials for that one, but I, that was in Greco-Roman wrestling. I'm also a former national champion in freestyle wrestling, and I was on the national team in freestyle wrestling, and I'm also a two-time equivalent to state champion for uh, high school wrestling. And how did I get into pro wrestling? Uh, I started amateur because I wanted to be a pro wrestler, and basically... I turned down scholarships when I graduated high school. I actually had a scholarship to the university at Buffalo, which was a Division I school for wrestling. But Eric Bischoff uh, was starting a new promotion called Matt Rats. WCW had just closed that March, and this would have been July 2001. And they were looking for the top 
uh, kid athletes from around Canada. Harry Smith was involved in it, Ted Hart, um, Rick Victor, who's now in uh, WWE, Renee Dupree was in it, Natty Nightheart was in it, who's now Natalia. Uh, so there ended up, oh, TJ Wilson was also in it. So I ended up uh, going out to Calgary to be part of the pilot. Um, and for those that don't know, where I live, it's near Syracuse, New York in the U.S., and Calgary is near Montana. So I pretty much went across the country to be part of this pilot. Nothing came out of the pilot. I ended up uh, staying there and training at the dungeon to become uh, a pro wrestler. But at one point I did run out of money and I had to come back to this end of Canada for a while. And during that period of time, I trained for a year with Jacques Rougeau before returning to the dungeon. So uh, I was trained, I'd like to say, by the top two wrestling families in Canada, the Hearts and the Rougeaus. Yeah, for sure. Tell me about training in the Heart Dungeon. Is it everything it's uh, it, it, it's supposed to be? Well, by this point, uh, I started training there in 2001. I stopped in 2005. Stu would come and watch. Uh, he was mostly, he could walk, but he was mostly uh, in a wheelchair. When we practiced in the summer outside, he would usually watch. Sometimes he would come down. He would still put holds on you but you would really have to let him put you in the hold. It was mostly Bruce Hart um, doing the teaching. By this point, Bruce uh, was in Survivor Series 93. and He he actually came up with the Owen Hart uh, turning on Brett Angle. It was originally supposed to be Bruce doing that angle with Brett, but Brett would prefer to work with Owen, so it ended up being Owen and Brett. But... For the dungeon training with Bruce, it was more like a lot of bumps, but instead of a ring that has uh, loose plywood on it um, under the uh, mats, it was just cement floor under the mats. So you really had to learn how to bump properly because you would feel it if you didn't bump properly. And even if you did bump properly, you would feel it. There was a lot of chops, a lot of slapping in the face, a lot of uh, physical pain involved in that kind of training. It was less uh, cardiovascular, but more physical. And then the veterans of the training who had gone through that um, in years prior and who had been beaten up by the guys above them, they then wanted to beat you up to make uh, you go through what they went through. So not a lot of people uh, lasted through the through the whole dungeon training, but I did. I enjoyed it. I always thought it was cool uh training down there sometimes you would just be in the middle of practice and I would just look around reflecting on the history um so yeah it was a positive experience overall much different than the Jacques Rougeau training who Jacques was it was very light as far as physical punishment went and he focused more on the facial expressions uh, how to walk in the ring the the entertainment side of things Interesting that you got both ends of the spectrum, uh, the entertainment part and the physical part, because uh, if somebody just went to one of those uh, training centers, they would only get one part. So it's probably uh, helped make you more of a, a well-rounded uh, professional wrestler, so to speak. Uh, your first little brush with uh, with greatness, so to say, is uh, in Puerto Rico, and you went down there. How, how, how many years had you been wrestling up and around Canada when you went down to Puerto Rico? Well, I wrestled. 
wrestled in Canada 2001 to the early 2005. I uh, had WWE tryouts in 2004, 2005. And then uh, I was around that time after one of my tryouts. They said, you got to get some more seasoning. So I sent a bunch of tapes around to various companies. And one of them was to IWA Puerto Rico, which was uh, Victor Quiones and Savio Vega. We're running that company at the time, Luke Williams, who I know you you know, he lives in uh, your area as well, um, was one of the bookers. And he was the one that initially brought me to Puerto Rico and gave me the name uh, Hannibal in 2005 because they wanted me to, uh, up until that point, I was a babyface, not by choice, but uh, that's what the hearts wanted me to be. And Luke watched me wrestle and he said, you're more of a vicious wrestler. You shouldn't be a baby face. And uh, your facial expressions remind me of uh, Anthony Hopkins from Silence of the Lambs. So you're going to be Hannibal when you come here. And I said, fine. I was willing to be a heel anyways. I thought I was more natural as a heel. Yeah, you really are, actually. <laughs> oh, oh, are you kind? But uh, so tell me about that. You're up in Canada, and you're and you're. I'm assuming just doing indie shows on the weekends, and then all of a sudden you're thrust into a territory with television. How much of uh, how satisfying was that? How frightening was that? How uh, how crazy was that situation? Well, yeah, you're correct. They did have four hours of TV there a week, and they were drawing very large crowds at that time. That was uh, right at the end of the glory years of IWA Puerto Rico. Uh, for our big shows, sometimes we'd have six or 7,000. And on the weekends, it wasn't uncommon to have 3,000 people on a Saturday night, and it was uncommon to have less than 1,000 for a non-televised show. So it was good. They gave me a good push. I worked with uh, Ricky Banderas mostly in IWA, uh, who was also known in TNA, as you know, as Judas Messiah, and he went on to have a good uh, AAA career. But that was fun. It was fun because uh, you were a celebrity on the island. You were treated well. They, I never had an issue with pay in IWA. I did in later years when I switched to WWC. No. Uh, <laughs> which I understand you did too. <laughs> but I, I, uh, I did what yeah, I was. IWA was great. <laughs> I did. I did what I was told. As soon as I got off the airplane, I got in my car and I went to the check cashing place and I got the money. The only problem is. It bounced for the check cashing place. I've told that story before. It, it's all right. It wasn't all that much money. And, uh, and, and it's funny to talk, talk about Abdul the Butcher because we're going to get to him in a minute. But uh, uh, I was actually just uh, uh, telling the story about a month ago on the podcast uh, about um, – uh, going down to Puerto Rico for that tour, and Ab Abdullah the Butcher kept buying me drinks, and nobody could understand why he was buying me drinks at the Doubletree uh, there at the, the casino hotel. And uh, and nobody could understand why he was buying me drinks because he doesn't buy anybody anything. And uh, I went to check out, and my bar tab was like uh, 
300 400 bucks so he was he was pretending like he was buying me drinks but he was signing my name and putting my room number and uh and i actually refused to pay it i said here these are the ones that i've actually bought and these are the ones that you that that i didn't buy somebody uh, and they compared signatures and they the signatures were totally different so uh after about 30 minutes of haggling with them they uh i actually got my entire bar tab for free so if uh, Abdullah did one good thing, uh, got me a free bar tab that weekend, so probably equaled the amount of money that I got for the uh, the weekend. Speaking of, well, before we get to Abdullah, you jumped at one point. You mentioned to um, to World uh, Wrestling Council. Why did you jump, and uh, and and how were things different in World Wrestling Council than IWA? Uh, I basically jumped because I was friends with. Uh, Eddie Cologne because we worked out at the same gym and he was always telling me to, to switch and uh, they were, he, he was a fan, thought I would do well in WWC so finally they did offer me more money to go to WWC and I ended up becoming two-time WWC tag team champions there, long runs with a guy named Black Payne who was in WWE development for a while and the reason I really enjoyed it, but as you said, after after a while, they start missing a week in pay, and they say they'll catch up to you. Then they'll bounce a check on you, and you'll bring the check back. Then they'll write the check for half the pay, and then they'll say, "Oh, we'll catch up the next time." And it goes on and on and on. So I think there was a couple points. One point I said I was going to leave, and they finally didn't catch up with the full amount of money, but gave me several thousand to stay and then it happened again and then I finally left for good in uh, in 2008 but the I found the the main difference between IWA IWA was much more professional WWC uh, was less professional as far as pay goes and how the the shows went but the the wrestlers were more of a, a friendly, tight unit. Where IWA, um, not everyone was friends. There was a lot of a lot of clicks, but good experience nonetheless. And while I was in WWC, I uh, did wrestle in the Dominican a few times. And after that, before the WWE thing, I did go to Europe for a while, where I wrestled for. Uh, all-Star Wrestling in the UK, where I got a victory over Doug Williams, who you know from TNA. And I worked a lot with Mason Ryan, who had uh, who had a small run in WWE. So you can imagine, if you were, if anyone remembers Mason Ryan from WWE, um, he wasn't exactly the greatest wrestler there. So you can imagine when he was first starting out in England, a guy that size, having to get in there with him wasn't the most fun. And I also wrestled Tatanka in in the UK a bunch of times. Yeah, but who has not pleasant? Who has it? So I was on the plane the other day, and I got a couple chapters down in a book I've been wanting to read. And I'm looking here in my office, and I have uh, Wrestlers Are Like Seagulls by J.J. Dillon, Accepted by Pat Patterson, a whole bunch of wrestling books. And I never have time to read them. So I was thinking the other day... uh, 
There must be a better way to than sitting down and reading a book uh, and spend a lot of time in the car or if you spend a lot of time in the gym. Uh, there's never been a better time to start listening. It's that easy on Audible. With Audible, you get access to an unbeatable selection of audiobooks, including bestsellers, motivation, mysteries, thrillers, memoirs, even some great wrestling books. Audible has the largest selection of audiobooks on the planet. And now with Audible Originals, the selection has gotten even more custom with content made specifically for members. I was looking at some of the books that they had in a past guest that we had on Sydney Ringside, Lex Luger. Uh, his book, Wrestling with the Devil, uh, is uh, one of the audiobooks. Also, JR's autobiography and so much more available if you're a wrestling fan. But uh, Wrestling with the Devil is sort of on my short list to uh, read. And like I said, I have so many books that I've collected over the years that I've been wanting to read. So definitely get a hit up audible and listen to wrestling with the devil as my first book audible members could choose three titles every month one audio book and two audible originals you can't hear anywhere else audible members also get access to exclusive audio fitness programs if you're into working out you can start the new year off on the right foot listen on any device anytime anywhere at home at the gym on your commute or just on the go you'll also enjoy easy audiobook exchanges rollover credits and an audiobook library this is cool that you get to keep forever even if you cancel audible the most inspiring minds the most compelling stories the best place to listen get started with a 30-day trial when you go to audible.com slash ringside or text ringside to 500 500 once again go to audible.com slash ringside r-i-n-g-s-i-d-e or text ringside r-i-n-g-s-i-d-e to 500 500 and listen for a change that's audible Let's just uh, let's just go right at this because there's no easy way to, to 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 broach it. You had a situation with Abdullah the butcher, who ironically enough was just uh, uh, given a huge retirement ceremony in uh, Tokyo, which I know uh, must have thrilled you greatly. Uh, t- tell me about uh, the situation, the match, who booked it? It was with your uh, promotion, was it with an indie promotion, and and uh, and and. Uh, what were the plans and what actually happened? Well, basically, I had known Abdullah f- from Puerto Rico. I hadn't wrestled in Puerto Rico, but they used him quite often in WWC. I had wrestled as a tag team with him a few times and had some matches with him. Uh, there was one particular match, which was kind of a combined show from all the Alberta promotions in 2007. It was a tribute show to Bad News Allen, who was known as Bad News Brown in WWE. He had just passed away, and Abdullah was uh, at one time his tag team partner in Japan. So the main event for that show was me against Abdullah in a cage, and uh, we were both bleeding um, in the match, from our own cuts, which as everyone knows by now, because kayfabe is long gone in, in wrestling. Sometimes a hard way is done where you're bleeding from taking a legitimate hit to the head from a object, such as one time when Abdullah hit me with a coffee pot and it split my head open. But, uh, in most cases it's done by cutting yourself with a razor blade, with your own razor blade or, uh, surgical scalpel that a lot of people carry um, in more recent years. So in this match, 
we were both going to bleed. Uh, he had not indicated he had any history of uh, any blood diseases or anything like that. And he had not made any indication that he was going to cut me with a used razor blade. Uh, in the match, he ended up cutting me with a blade in the match after he had used it on himself, which is confirmed by videotape, uh, about four or five times, which he didn't have permission to do. We didn't really think about this much at the time. Um, this was in 2007. In 2006, I had had blood tests indicating had no hepatitis in my system. I think I mentioned to you, I started having WWE tryouts in 2004. In 2009, I attended a camp uh, back when uh, Tampa, Florida, FCW was uh, the WWE's development territory. And uh, I was told by Pat Patterson, who was one of the agents at the camp, that I was the best wrestler at the camp had very positive, positive feedback from all the agents, and I ended up getting signed um, to an open-ended contract after that camp. But unfortunately, when I did the medical, I passed the drug test, passed the concussions test, passed all the tests except for the blood test, which turned out that I had the hepatitis C virus active in my system. Now, it's a proven fact that hepatitis C is passed um, through sharing of razor blades. So this is immediately um, what, how I thought I caught it at the time. It took us two years uh, to, oh, to just go back for a bit. Ultimately, my contract was rescinded um, because I had hepatitis C. Um, I did receive a settlement uh, from WWE related to that, but uh, the matter between Abdullah started when he wouldn't give us his blood test. Finally, after two years, we got his blood tests, which indicated that he had had hepatitis C for quite a long time. Um, in 2014, the case finally went to court in Canada where he was found guilty of negligence, assault, and battery. Negligence because he knew he had hepatitis C, and he cut me with a razor blade after cutting himself. That's negligence, assault, because he didn't have my permission to cut me. Wrestling is a performance, and you're not agreeing to get cut with an unsanitary razor blade when you're agreeing to a pro wrestling match, let alone a hepatitis C-infected one in battery because his actions caused me bodily harm. Unfortunately, he lives in Atlanta, and it took two years to get the judgment endorsed in Georgia courts. We also won in Georgia. He appealed that. The appeal was thrown out in 2017. So in the time that we won in Canada and the time that we won in the U.S., he had time to close his main restaurant, transfer various properties, close bank accounts, close credit cards. And unfortunately... Despite uh, receiving a large amount in damages and me having to actually go through two treatments to get cured of hepatitis C, these were terrible treatments. Uh, one was 24 weeks, one was 36 weeks. Uh, it's very similar to chemotherapy. The second treatment cost me $80,000. I had about $124,000 in legal fees that I'm still paying off to this day. Um, I didn't get a penny um, so it's been an unfortunate situation, but at least I got cured. The cure has actually been uh, 
confirmed again this year because I just had blood tests done in December. But uh, just a sad situation all around that unfortunately I lost a WWE contract out of that and I never received uh, another contract with a major company since, unfortunately. What was Abdullah's defense, if he had any? What was, what, what, what was, did he have, uh, what did he say that, uh, in, you know, to well, protect himself? his main defense was he kept insisting that he didn't cut me, but it was right on tape that he cut me. And if you look uh, at the thing in slow motion, it's very obvious that he cut me. So that's called lying on the record when you say you didn't cut. And for a long time, even after uh, we had his tests, he was saying he didn't have hepatitis C, which is also lying on the record. He said this to major news sources such as uh, the Atlantic magazine. So he was proven to be a liar. And it's more likely than not, I didn't have it the year before the match where he cut me with the blade. He had it for a long time before he cuts me with a blade. He has hepatitis C, then I end up having hepatitis C. So the case was fairly uh, straightforward when it came to that. Have you heard from anybody else? Because he's <laughs> he's bled with a lot of people in this business. Uh, have you have you heard from anybody else who heard your story and and uh, also content realized that they had hepatitis C through wrestling? That well, blue? the thing is, and one of the things about this case is when you're just double blading, it's really fairly small cuts, and blood is flowing outwards. And blood is not necessarily getting into those cuts. So just by wrestling him in a regular double blood match, you may or may not catch it. But when someone's actually sticking an object that's been in their body with their blood into it in yours, then that greatly increases the chance. But guys that have had it, that have wrestled them, that I know of is Jacques Rougeau. He wrestled him. He had it. Uh, Luke Williams had it. Uh, who else? Uh, Billy Graham wrestled him nine times. He had it. Now, I'm not saying that they necessarily caught it from them, but, I mean, it's been around. Lots of wrestlers have had Ivan Koloff had it. He's dead now. Bobby Jaggers. Um, Terry Funk has never said what kind of hepatitis he had, but it has been reported that at one point he had a kind of hepatitis and was cured of it. So I'm not saying that Abdullah gave it to anyone necessarily. Only in my case do I know because he shared a razor blade. They could have caught it. Like Billy Graham has said it, the 70s were bloodbath years. It was common to have bloodbaths in matches. So there's a lot of stuff going around. And hep C wasn't even tested for until 1990. So it's a fairly new disease. But luckily, there is cures for it now. And there's better and better cures uh, being developed all the time and I'm very thankful that I'm cured. So that's about all I have to say about that. When, when, when did, when did they find a cure? Cause at one point wasn't hepatitis C thought to be an uncurable disease. Uh, they've at one point when they first discovered it, but it, it's been at least since the early two thousand. Cause I know Bushwhacker Luke, uh, had it and he was cured very early after he had it. Um, so the early 2000s, I mean, the cures were more difficult. And now Billy Graham was just cured. He did a three-month treatment on a new drug. 
and it was less side effects than I had to go through. Uh, I think Jacques Rougeau did the same three-month treatment in, in recent years. So there is better treatment. I mean, X-Pac even has had it, but that could have been from another way of catching it. Um, so, so who knows? But it, it basically, it's dangerous to wrestle in double-blood matches if there's no testing done. So if any independent wrestlers listen to it, I mean, it just came out a story last week that there was a wrestler positive for HIV wrestling in death matches. Oh, geez. Did you hear that? No. This is, this was reported by wrestling Inc. That, uh, there's a wrestler who had tested positive for hepatitis C wrestling in death matches. So, I mean, if you're wrestling out in a field somewhere in a double blood match, chances are there's not, not going to be any testing. But WWE, obviously, they have the no blood policy. Uh, they're supposed to stop matches if accidental blood occurs, and they've cut way back on. Uh, Unless you're Brock Lesnar. Yeah, I mean that some of that stuff is questionable, but again, that's a single blood situation, and those guys are tested. So I'm not I'm not necessarily against blading, but sharing razor blades, I'm definitely against. And double blood matches where there's no testing involved is highly, highly dangerous. Even if there is testing, people aren't necessarily getting tested every week. So, and that's the other thing about Hep C. Some people always say, well, it could be transmitted by sex. There's never been any 100% proof that Hep C can be passed by regular heterosexual sex because uh, it's blood to blood. So you would have to have two people with cuts on their sexual organs. So that, that's a very rare case. <laughs> it's, it's, I, I don't want to say it's never happened before, but you're right. It's very rare. Hey, talk to me about your friendship with superstar Billy Graham. Uh, I, I know that you guys are close and uh, he it doesn't talk. I like superstar Billy Graham and I'm not trying to pick a fight with him, but he, he, he doesn't talk positively about a lot of people in this business. So how'd you happen to get on his good side? Well, but he heard about my story is how that started. And he actually had had a liver transplant due to hepatitis C. Um, and he had wrestled Abdullah the Butcher. So the story uh, hit close to home for him. He had witnessed Abdullah the Butcher in his younger days tape a blade to a popsicle stick and basically slice some jobber up so badly that uh, the jobber had to go to the hospital. And he thought that was brutal. So he always thought that Abdullah kind of was careless in the ring as far as you're supposed to protect the person uh, you're wrestling. They're not supposed to leave with permanent injuries. Um, But he, at the time I met him, my first treatment hadn't worked and he actually got me an appointment with his doctor in Phoenix, who's one of the top liver specialists in the world, uh, Dr. Hector Rodriguez. Uh, who works with the Mayo Clinic, and he's the one that got me on the experimental treatment. So I always say I'll owe superstar Billy Graham for the rest of my life because it was because of him directly that I ended up getting on the treatment that cured me of the disease. So we just became friends, and I still talk to him all the time. I just talked to him yesterday, actually, because I'm going to... uh, Arnold Sports uh, Awards this weekend in Ohio, and he's got a message he wants me to pass on to Arnold, so we'll see if I can get that message to Arnold. 
But as far as his mood swings and stuff, you have to understand this guy has a lot of health issues. He is legally handicapped. He lives in a, a hotel room with his wife. He's poor. Uh, he did all this in wrestling. Um, he's under a WWE Legends contract, but they haven't used him for one appearance. Uh, they were just in Phoenix uh, for Royal Rumble weekend. They didn't use him for anything. And for people that don't know, it's not like you get regular pay for being under a WWE Legends contract. You're paid by the appearance, or if they make a toy with you or something, you get you get a certain fee for that, or put out uh, some merchandise of you. So, anyway, he's just sad because. He's one of the greatest wrestlers of all time as far as Hulk Hogan copied him. Ric Flair even said he copied him in his book when he first came. Uh, Billy's wife actually gave Ric Flair his first uh, bleach blonde hair dye job. And uh, Jesse Ventura copied him. Scott Steiner has <laughs> even admitted that he's copied a lot. And he's still a genius as it comes to promos. And he could really have a role like helping young wrestlers are being an advisor to a, a company like WWE, but instead he's just basically stuck in his hotel room living in pain. So that's what his mood swings are from. I I understand that he does have mood swings and uh, some people really take that personally, but you have to understand he's also in his 70s. He's had a lot of health issues and he he's sad, I guess. Sure. No, no, it makes sense. What, what's Honky Tonk's excuse? I don't know. I actually haven't thought. I, I talked to Honky Tonk Man this year. I was supposed to do an do a interview with him, actually, uh, this month, but he canceled it for the summer. So now, after yesterday, that we find out he's going in the Hall of Fame, I now understand why he didn't do a shoot interview with me this month, because he doesn't need any more... Uh, controversy but uh yeah honky tonk man's a, i don't know what his excuse is but i'm still i still like him we've used him in great north wrestling which is a company i work with in canada since 2007 off and on and he was always reliable and uh, he put on a good show so I'm happy that he finally went in the Hall of Fame. He does put on a good show. I'll never forget I, in WCW. He was making. Uh, it was in January. It was uh, we had the January schedule, and there were 25 shots in January. It was I'm sitting them in. Uh, I believe it was uh, Nashville uh, for Starcade, and uh, he was in the dressing room, and he's telling me, you know, I get a thousand dollars a match, and so I'm doing the math, and I'm. Get, I, I wasn't getting anywhere near a thousand dollars a. Uh, uh, a week at that point, let alone a thousand dollars a match. I was just starting out as the ring announcer, and uh, and they told him that he had to put over Johnny B. Bad, and he packed up his bags and he quit. And I said to him, "You're giving up twenty five thousand dollars just next month. That's a lot of freaking money, hockey." He's like, "Well, some things are more important than money." I was like, "Yeah, but doing a job to Johnny B. Bad ain't one of them." But uh, um, and the reason you were doing that for people. Oh, no, you explained this in your shoot interview. You were in charge of the people that signing in and out, right? And the people that got extra pay, like Sonny Ono, who got extra pay every time he was a manager because his main job was uh, 
New Japan talent liaison. You had to keep track of that, I guess. Well, I was, but that had nothing to do with the conversation. He was just bragging to me because the, the schedule just came out for January. He's counting the dates. And he's going, holy hell, I'm on every one of these because, you know, I'm a Hulk guy. And, uh, and, and uh, you know, and, and I'm a, a nightly guy and I'm making $1,000 a night. And, you know, that was as much as I made probably – and back then, that's probably what I made in a year when I first started out. So uh, I, I, I understand that some things are more important than money. I don't understand uh, doing a job to Johnny B. Bad, even if, after all these years. But God bless Honky, and good luck. Congratulations. And in those days, 1000 bucks would probably be closer to 1250 today, probably. Yeah. So but. is it true that you promoted a 2007 TNA Canadian tour? Yes. Yeah, what? and I'm actually I'm actually the one responsible for the first uh, TNA pay-per-view that happened in Canada because I'm the one that hooked TNA up with that uh, arena in Oshawa, Ontario. What goes into promoting in 2007? And then we're going to let you go because I know you got to run. What goes into promoting in 2007 a, t- a TNA Canadian tour? Do you get to decide the cities? Do you have any input on the show? Uh, how, how do you get paid? How are the crowds? I'm just curious. Having worked there, uh, having yeah, worked you there. You weren't used on that. It was Bor- Borash that was the ring announcer for that one. Right. Um, what happened was I put on an event in the summer of 2007 in Ottawa, Canada, that had 4,000 fans attend. And Jeff Jarrett was on that event, along with AJ Styles, uh, Samoa Joe Christian, who was in TNA at the time. And they were all really impressed with the crowd that I uh, got. But it wasn't just TNA wrestlers on that show, um... I mean, Kamala was also on the show. Uh, Psycho Sid was also on the show. Uh, to name a few, Abdullah the Butcher was on that show. That was one where he nailed me with the coffee pot, but that was fine. I agreed to that. But uh, basically after that, they were in, they were really popular in Quebec because Quebec um, had a French TNA show, for those that don't know. And at that time, the Quebec sports station had dropped WWE programming and were only airing TNA programming. So there was a big demand for TNA in Quebec. And I live right on the Quebec border. So I organized a tour of Gatineau, Quebec, Quebec City, Quebec, and Montreal, Quebec. And I was also going to promote the one in Oshawa, which was right outside of Toronto, but in the end, the city of Oshawa ended up buying that show from TNA and putting on that show themselves. And that's what led to the show after that was the TNA pay-per-view in that city. So I was the one that hooked them up with that arena. As far as crowds went, the crowds were very good. They weren't as much as I had for my Ottawa crowd because I did realize that... Um, TNA, uh, it wasn't just TNA that had drawn that Ottawa crowd. I mean, we had other wrestlers and local wrestlers on on the shows as well that were helping to sell tickets. So I think we had something like 2,000 for Montreal, 1,700 for Quebec City, and like 1,500 for Gatineau, which, as you know, is good numbers for TNA at that time for house shows. But... The thing was, 
they wanted me to go to regular sized arenas. So some of these arenas, especially like the Quebec City one, it was a 19,000 seat arena. Ooh. So the cost of that arena was like $70,000 in the end. So that was a bomb, even though that was a great crowd for a TNA show. We should have done the shows in small venues. So that was a learning experience. I got to wrestle Abyss on that tour. That was great. They were actually thinking of bringing me into feud with Abyss at that time, but because due to the size of the arenas that we went to, there was no actual, no, nowhere near a profit made, um, despite the good crowd. So that kind of ruined my relationship at that time with, uh, with TNA. Real quickly, uh, how did you start the Hannibal TV? Whose idea was it? And uh, because it's a unique concept, and uh, and what what can we uh, what can we look forward to in the future, other than me? Yes, David. But while we'll say that right now, you're going to be. Uh getting interviews, WrestleMania weekend, various events, maybe even the impact of it. Maybe uh, you'll stop by that, but definitely we're going to be covering a lot of events, including the Sunday thing in New Jersey. That's a, that's a first time event. Uh, People can look that one up, but there's, I forget what it's called, but it's not WrestleCon. There's a special... Uh, it's like Mark Out in the Meadowlands or something? Yeah, Mark Out in the Meadowlands, yeah. That's going to be a big one. Uh, and We're going to have really full access at that event. Jim Ross is going to be there. A lot of the guys I've interviewed, like Danny Spivey, and he's going to be there, along with numerous other stars. But how did I start Hannibal TV? Uh, I was working with other people who were editing footage for... Uh, great North wrestling and so forth and just putting stuff up on their channels. And I had no idea that there was money to be made on, on YouTube. And, uh, one day, one of my video people said, Hey, I just got a check for $300 from the footage that, uh, I've been posting of you. And I'm like, what you're making money off of these. And so it was at that time I realized, okay, there's money to be made off of posting stuff on the internet. So I started my own channel in 2013, and I started off by just posting matches from Great North Wrestling. Um, And they did all right, but then one of my, uh, I would say he's more of an acquaintance than a friend. He did a movie on me back around 2012 called This Is Hannibal. And he had a lot of footage from that movie that he never ended up using. So he was just kind enough. He gave me a lot of the B-roll footage. And I had done some of those B-roll interviews with guys like Honky Tonk Man and Lanny Poffo. And there was some footage of Terry Funk and I um, from an angle Terry and I did. And I started posting some of the interview clips on YouTube. And I noticed that the interviews were getting a lot more hits than the matches. So after that, whenever we would have a great North wrestling event, I would start interviewing whoever the legend was that was with us. And of course the interviews kept getting more and more popular to the point now where I'm doing interview trips just to collect interviews. Like uh, this weekend, as I already stated, I'm going to the Arnold classic just to get interviews Uh, We're going to New York for WrestleMania weekend. I'll be at the Cauliflower Alley reunion um, this year covering that too. So 
It's going great. 60 million views in five years, but it's really been increasing in recent years. So uh, I appreciate all the fan support. So search it up. The Hannibal TV on YouTube. The Hannibal TV dot com is our official website. And again, if you're a fan of David Penzer, search David Penzer, the Hannibal TV, and there'll be a lot of videos. I think my favorite interview I did, that you did is the one with Lex Luger. Why so? <laughs> uh, because I think you asked him, I, I told you to ask this, but uh, something about his attitude, and he looked at you like, what are you talking about? Well, he like was... as if he never had an attitude. Oh. And we saw a glimpse into the old Lex Luger there. Yeah, he was on the podcast uh, a while ago, and uh, he we talked we we talked about that in a little bit more depth, and uh, and he, he sort of admitted that he was uh, a little bit full of himself. But yeah, I probably uh, that, that was probably at nine in the morning, so I probably just uh, surprised him. But uh, yeah, <laughs> looking looking forward to, to hanging at WrestleMania weekend in New York City, and uh, we'll, we'll get some good uh, content for your network, and uh, hopefully we could uh, make some connections for the podcast. It'll be a win-win hey we've been wanting to have you on for a while we actually tried to do this live when you were in uh when you were in uh tampa a couple weeks ago and uh between my flu and uh, uh brian and, and brian blair being late a late killer b uh didn't work out but i'm glad we finally got Which, it by the way he ended up being much later so it would have been really bad if we had done it mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, he, he's nothing if not late, uh, always. But uh, that's Brian. Good guy, though. And I'm sure the interview was fun. I love seeing Dan Spivey talk about uh, uh, that job guy that no-sold for him and Sid back in the day that's become iconic on the Internet. Uh, so I'm gonna- Yeah, if you see Sid WrestleMania weekend, you got to ask him about that. Absolutely, absolutely. I was I was marking out just when I heard that you asked Spivey because that's I've seen you know I've seen a lot. You know I've seen a lot. You've seen a lot, but I've never seen anything like that guy. Just he, you couldn't get him to stay down to save his life, and I'm surprised he got out of that building alive. By the way, if you don't if you've not seen the video we're talking about, uh, you can go to uh, to on YouTube and just put in the skyscrapers or job or no sell or whatever. Uh, it, it's it's pretty prevalent on the internet it comes up pretty well but uh but the most incredible thing about that and you confirmed this with me and this is typical wcw is that was a pre-taped match oh sure and they did nothing i like when spive even remembered it the jobber runner sid tries to clothesline the jobber and sid falls down yeah knock sid they left that in <laughs> they put that on tv yeah, well, you know, uh, uh, I have no comment on that. I, yeah, it was pre-taped. It wasn't live. And uh, look, they they were taping a lot of content, and it was expensive to tape, and, and they had to get it on TV. But, yeah, you, they could have edited that spot that Sid, Sid took a dump on his ass out for sure. Uh, all right, well, the Hannibal TV on YouTube, lots of great content, and uh, you could actually see my fat ass on there as well. So uh, uh, we'll be back at uh, WrestleMania weekend doing it all over again and uh you never know where i'll pop up on on the hannibal tv and you might pop up on uh on, on things i'm doing so uh uh enjoy the conversation and uh good luck at the uh, arnold classic and uh enjoy yourself just don't try to shoot on uh on anybody there <laughs> don't worry thanks 
luck. Good luck with your and, podcast. And no double, no thank you, and no double blood matches at the Arnold uh, at the Arnold Classic. Oh, I'm I'm retired now. I've officially uh, not officially, but uh, I'm focusing on interviews. There you go. I'm out, I'm out of the I'm out of the ring. I'm it's, just focusing on what I'm best at. It's right now. it's much safer. All right, man. Thank you for being here, and I appreciate your time. See ya. Big thank you to Devin Nicholson uh, for jumping on sitting ringside this week and uh, interesting story. And uh, uh, I know he's doing a little uh, kickboxing now, so uh, I think he's moving into another direction. But we're looking forward to being uh, up there WrestleMania weekend. Also, hopefully uh, a lot of the stars that have been on my quote unquote bucket list uh we'll be able to hook up with them and and book uh a seat here ringside with me so looking forward to that as well and uh all of wrestlemania weekend should be fun so far in the hall of fame uh degeneration x and the hockey talk man i heard rumors that the heart foundation are going in as well uh so we'll see that would be two uh hall of fame rings for jimmy hart and that might just cap off him never doing this podcast again if he did got two Hall of Fame rings instead of one. But uh, always fun to see who's going into the Hall of Fame. If you'd have told me Jeff Jarrett a year ago, I'd have bet you the house not. And if you'd have told me Honky Talk Man a month ago, I'd have bet you the same house not. But uh, that's why it's fun to watch. You never know who's going to go in. You never know who's going to make up with the people in charge. And uh, it's always fun to hear some great stories from the the talent and I'm sure Degeneration X will be great. I'm sure Hockey Talk will be great. Uh, and the ironic part about it is, if he's lucky, he's getting the same payday that I discussed earlier that he missed out of a month's worth of bookings for WCW because that's about the going rate for the Hall of Fame, from what I understand. So, uh, but you know, can't look back. I guess. Anyway, speaking of looking back, uh, hit me up on social media at David Penzer or at Penzer Ringside. Let me know who you want to hear in future months and weeks and years on this podcast. We are an open book uh, and uh, want to bring you the best interviews and the most interesting talent that we can each and every week. We strive to do that. So hit us up and let us know who you want to hear. Dan, I know you want to hear Sting. I'm going to be on a Legends of Wrestling show with Sting in in April in Detroit and so uh, I'm going to kindly ask Mr. Sting if uh, if he will do the podcast and uh, my good friend Dan uh, would be happy uh, and satisfied for uh, that if we can make that happen but uh, so Sting's already on the list and let me know who else you want to hear out there at David Penzer on Twitter always fun to interact with the fans Somebody asked me a question this past week. How come you never went to WWE? <laughs> I said they never asked me. But uh, I, I will get more in-depth if you uh, have any other uh, questions as well. Until next time, then, I'm David Penzer, Still City Rigside. See ya. Follow David Penzer on Twitter at David Penzer. Also, make sure to follow the show on Twitter at Penzer Ringside. You've been sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. This is a Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy Quick Fix on Radio Influence.
All right, everybody, we are a, a culture of uh, history. It's one of the things that we uh, we talk about uh, all the time. They say history repeats itself. Well, I'm going to tell you this much. I hope this history doesn't repeat itself because I'm about to talk to a gentleman named Clay Kokalis who happened to be the lead foreman on the Lorena Bobbitt trial. Lorena Bobbitt, do you remember that name? John and Lorena Bobbitt. John, who had his penis cut off by his wife, who took a Game Boy out of somebody's pocket, stole $100 after she cut off her husband's dick. I'm sorry, but it happened. She then drove down the street, threw it out the window, and remembered exactly where it was. I got Clay Kokalis on the phone today. He's our guest on Duffified Live. He is the lead foreman for the Lorena Bobbitt trial. I can't wait for this one. Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com.